This is Heart of the Story, and I'm Nadine Kenny Johnstone. I'm a writer and a writing coach who helps women develop and publish their memoirs and essays. But most importantly, I'm a human who's always trying to figure out what my soul is saying. Each week, I'll share stories and tips of healing, hope, and following my heart so that you'll feel inspired to follow yours. Hi, I am so excited about today because we're doing something a little different. We have three guest readers who are joining us today to share with you their personal essays. Let me tell you a little bit more about this. So a few times a year, I lead one of my favorite classes. It's called Publish the Personal. And just as it sounds, I share with people how to publish their personal essays. So I take all the tips and tools that I have gained over the years getting my writing in top magazines, and then I share that information with the writers and they create brand new essays. We workshop them, and then they submit them to magazines and other media. And recently, I decided to do a podcast edition of that class because it's become so successful. The writers in that class have been published in the top nonfiction literary magazines like The Sun and Hippocampus and Hypertext and Memoir Magazine, and they have been nominated for Pushcart Prizes. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> and I love the class so much. And I was hearing from people that they also wanted to know how to get their writing into audio forms, in particular on podcast. So because I have a little bit of experience with that, I thought, all right, let's do it. And our most recent cohort of Publish the Personal was a podcast edition where the writers wrote stories that they then submitted to get on different podcasts. And part of that was that they got to be on this podcast, Heart of the Story. And as you will hear, they were incredible. Here's what I've noticed about getting your writing out in the world. It's one thing to have it read by other people, but it's even more of an enjoyable gift when you get to hear that story read in the author's own voice. It just changes everything. And as you'll see from this episode and the two others that are dedicated to publish the personal podcast edition, you'll see just how amazing it is to hear these stories in their own voices. So in each of the episodes, there will be three spread out over the course of the summer. And the first one is today. You will get to hear from a few authors. They are going to introduce themselves, read their piece, and then they share with you how you can find them. These pieces had to be short, they had to be engaging, and most importantly, they had to be personal. They had to be personal essays. So the writers got to write about anything that had to do with healing, hope, and following your heart. And it just so happened that these three writers wrote about family. 
So I'm going to introduce these amazing writers and then I will step out of the way so that you can hear their stories in their own voices. But what I love about this is that There are three totally different writers with three totally different kinds of stories, but that all deal with some core aspects of family. My name is Ruth O'Dell. I'm retired, living in Oxford, Mississippi, writing in my third and last phase of life to share with other women whatever wisdom I've gained in the other phases. Coming to terms, dot, dot, dot. My retirement party was a joyous occasion. I was surrounded by people who respected me and many who cared about me. A school superintendent is highly visible in a community, respected and most of all contributing. Deep satisfaction was in my bones that day, but change was a coming. I had made the decision to retire 18 months earlier and bought a house in the college town where my only son lived. Both of my parents and my husband died while I was embroiled in a demanding job, and I had learned the toll that these family losses have on a person. I didn't want that for my son and his wife. So Oxford, Mississippi seemed like a perfect choice for my retirement. My son would not have to drive long hours to see about me as I aged nor do it alone without his family support system. I felt very satisfied and rather virtuous with how this would help him as I set out for my new life. I hadn't lived near my son for over 20 years. My grandsons knew me as a grandmother who came for exciting weekends and then went away for months. My daughter-in-law had never had a chance to know me well. But my new house had an upstairs for grandsons, a screen porch for family gatherings, and all the leave-it-to-beaver scenes. I had never actually been that kind of mother, but I was going to give it a try after some lonely years. One evening, a few weeks after I moved, my son and his family had dinner with me at a local restaurant. I sat facing my daughter-in-law, who looked as lovely as she always does. She has long blonde hair, flawless skin, blue eyes, and a laugh that will draw a crowd every time. When the boys got restless, my son gathered them up and they headed for home, leaving my daughter-in-law and me to linger over our wine. At some point in our long, meandering conversation, she said, he is worried about you moving here. Worried about it, I responded. He doesn't know what to expect, she said. This was my first hint that I might be the only person other than the grandchildren who was excited about this move. The conversation that followed was a frank one. She was poised, honest, and protective of her family and their traditions. She and my son had gone to law school at the university, had their children here, and her family lived an hour away. They had established traditions and routines that were not going to change. I would need to fit into those or start my own. My excitement about being there drained away as she talked. But I found myself admiring the courage it took for her to create some boundaries. 
my own longings to be part of a family had kept me from seeing this move from their viewpoint. I had thrown myself into their pond. Well, there was no going back now. I had to start swimming to the opposite shore, one far different than my old life. I'm invisible now. It has been like living in a foreign country without a passport. This new life has its benefits. No one may laud me for anything, but I am free to be whoever I want to be. I have gradually shed the old expectations and given up ever being able to control much of anything. I have also discovered some buried treasures. I love to write and enjoy the process of creating. I have transferred the skills from my career to several causes important to me. But most treasured of all are my grandsons. I am not invisible to them. They are in their room upstairs any chance they get, and their parents love it. My life is not leave it to beaver, and it didn't need to be. I could not make any of this happen. I had to discover it. The new world is one of no expectations and the peace to enjoy each moment. But often at night, I dream about the life before I crossed over and that woman who thought she knew how to make things happen. And then I forgive her and let her go too. Thanks for listening, y'all. You can find my blog at deloruth.com. Or you can send me questions you have about living your life at DelloRuth at gmail.com. So don't you just love Ruth's voice? <laughs> First of all, her story is great because it talks about family dynamics, which we all have to navigate. And then secondly, it deals with changing roles, how our roles shift and change throughout different phases of our lives. So I really loved that. But then thirdly, just her voice. Her voice is incredible. I think she needs her own show. <laughs> So next we will hear from a woman who did have her own radio show back in the day and also has her own column. Hi, my name is Sally Schwartz. I'm a writer living in Chicago, and I try to find laughter amid the chaos of everyday living. My story is called Life Without a Helmet. Since it wasn't on my phone, it took a while to find the picture. Seeing it again, my heart skipped a beat. There was my 17-year-old daughter, tanned and barefoot, speeding down the street on the back of her friend Josh's motorcycle. As they zoomed by, I remember two things registering within me, their joy and my fear. Like all moms, I have a limitless capacity to imagine disastrous endings to pretty much everything. So when I saw my daughter on the back of that motorcycle, what registered was an awful crash, broken bones, and a life-ending head injury. At the same time, I recognized the freedom in my daughter's smile. My child, laughing, wind in her hair, hugging the high school football star as they zoomed through the summer evening. They were teenagers, ignoring the rules, believing their immortality, free from fear. I knew enough to capture that on camera, even as my heart pounded with maternal angst. Nothing happened that night. They returned happy and unscathed. The photo fell into the digital abyss of my computer, 
and life moved on. Two years later, my daughter called from college. She didn't think she was at the right school. Her voice was small. What I heard was my child's unhappiness. This wasn't a disaster, but it was a call for help. Here I'll pause to confess my superpower. I believe I have the ability to see sequentially how to solve everyone else's problems. Tell me something's wrong and I will detail step-by-step step how to move forward. College A doesn't feel like a good fit? Research other schools. Fill out transfer applications. Keep your options open. Maybe by spring, you'll be happy. But if not, and you're accepted at other schools, at least you'll have options. By late April, my daughter had three acceptances, all at universities with programs better suited to her interests. Things hadn't gotten better for her where she was, but still, she hesitated. Transferring meant starting over. What if things weren't better? Maybe she should stay where she was. It wasn't great, but at least it was familiar. This child, who'd jumped onto a motorcycle with neither a helmet nor a backward glance, was now hesitant. Unable to stop myself, I told her that choosing to stay in her unhappiness, just because it was familiar, is no way to live life. She had never let fear limit her choices before, and I didn't see why she should start letting it now. Two things happened after that conversation. One is that my daughter decided to transfer. She took a deep breath, acknowledged the work she'd have to do to start all over again, and decided not to shy away from it. She stepped off the cliff. The other thing that happened was I listened to my own words. I heard myself telling my daughter not to let her fear of the unknown stop her from pivoting away from an unfulfilling present and toward the unknowable potential of a different future. What I was telling my daughter turned out to be an exercise in talking to myself. In trying to shape her into an adult who did not shy away from fear, I recognized I needed to follow my own advice. How could I encourage her to move forward into the unknowable, to step off the cliff, if I feared it for myself? You know how this ends. I took a hard look at my unhappy marriage. It seemed unimaginable to me to end it after 23 years, to consider starting over. What if what came next wasn't better? Getting divorced was a pivot toward the unknowable. It was like jumping onto the back of that motorcycle without a helmet. It felt reckless and liberating and optimistic against the odds. It was also the right thing to do because a life lived in fear is no life at all. Now, that said, I still wish my daughter had worn a damn helmet. And if you ever see me on a bicycle riding alongside my wonderful new husband, you will see us strapped up and wearing protective headgear. I'm still a mom after all. Thank you for listening to my story. You can read more of my columns and essays on my website, sallyschwartz.com. Don't you love Sally's style? I always find that after her pieces, I am both nodding along 
and laughing, but also feeling like there was something deeply resonant and universal within the storytelling. So I hope you check out her columns. You'll, you'll really, really enjoy them. Now, lastly, we have Tanya Coates, and she shares a really incredible piece about ancestry and family trees. Hello, I'm Tanya Coates, a writer, novelist, wife, mother, and family physician. I live in Flossmore, a suburb of Chicago. My creativity centers around family connections and DNA. And here's my essay. Are we related? Nigerians often ask me, are we related? Lineage is but one more thing slavery stole from the children of the Middle Passage. Some say, get over it. I'm envious of people who carry the name of their 12-time great-grandparent when my great-grandparents are not documented past slavery. Since, like animals, slaves were not named on census rolls. More problematic, my children and others endured incredulous inquiry from teachers when they can't name the country of their ancestors. The assignments sent home to redo marked incomplete. I am a self-proclaimed ancestry expert. My obsession with ancestry took hold the day I accepted the invitation to meet my future husband's family. Over time, through need and curiosity, I developed my skills as a family tree hunter. I stepped over the threshold of the tiny home on Detroit's east side, the house of my then boyfriend's grandmother, warm and overflowing with familiar chatter of relatives, comfortable in ways only connected people could be. The aroma of Easter dinner beckoned everyone within a few yards of the house. My heart raced at the thought of meeting his family. We had only been dating a few months, and based on my track record, would be together only a couple more weeks. However, I was a medical student, too far from home to spend the holiday with my family and craving homemade food and love from someone else's hand. I jumped on the invitation. When my second foot crossed into the house, I was surrounded by his mother and all her sisters, and I knew how this relationship would end. My boyfriend and I were long lost cousins. The aunties looked like my mother and her sisters. I did not know how, but we had to be related. Before I could reveal my secret to my newfound relations, I found myself gazing at the spread of food migrated with African-American families from the North to the South and East to West. There was turkey, ham, dressing, cornbread, pans of macaroni and cheese, deep fats of greens swimming with smoked turkey tails. 
cranberry jelly, yeast rolls, and sweet potatoes. The peach cobbler, as we say, tasted so good it could make you smack your mother. My stomach growled. I set aside my anxiety temporarily. I needed to know this family a little longer. First, to engorge myself today, then to have a place to return to on Memorial Day. One dish my family did not make was fried corn. From a bowl, I pulled a spoon of creamy, buttery, salty goodness and thought, cousin marriage isn't that bad. Worst case scenario is we're third cousins, not against the laws of man or biology, enough genetic distance between us that we could procreate safely. One aunt noticed me sneaking back for dips of corn. Had fried corn before, she asked. Yes, but my family doesn't make it, I said. It's an Arkansas thing. That's where we're from. I dropped my spoon. My grandmother is from Hughes, Arkansas. I know Hughes. We're from Dumas. The towns are about 40 miles away. I bet we know your people. Who are they? She and I played the name game but didn't figure it out. Mainly, I needed to pluck the information from my family tree. My father, the family tree keeper, helped me build my boyfriend's family alongside my mother's, chasing the green leaves left like breadcrumbs by Hansel and Gretel, hoping they would or not link our families and fates. I never found direct family connection with my boyfriend until we were able to have ancestry DNA tests taken, I remained confident that we were related. There are almost now 900 individuals captured in our tree and my husband and I are not related. Whew. But we are connected via stories of loss, survival, and a secret peach cobbler recipe that his grandmother entrusted to me. Though we will likely never connect the generations lost between 1619 to 1865, the DNA results carried us back across the Atlantic Ocean to find the general area our Nigerian ancestors were stolen from. Still, I cannot help looking at any random person and thinking, are we related? Thank you for listening. If you would like to find me, my website is www.tanyacoatswrites.com. That's T-O-N-Y-A-C-O-A-T-S rights.com. So Tanya's piece was so poignant, right? Thinking about the way that we look at and access ancestry and what's missing from family trees. And then there's also that incredible layering of the connectedness that happens around a table. When she read her piece out loud, my mouth was watering. (laughs) And in addition to it, 
it it really was making me curious at the beginning when I heard it for the first time about what will we find out about how they are related or are not related. So Tanya is an incredible writer and writes both fiction and nonfiction. So you should definitely check out her work. She's had a couple of recent publications. So definitely go to her website, tanyacoatswrites.com. Okay, I hope that you enjoyed this deviation from our typical episodes because I really did and I think that there's something amazing that happens when we hear other people's stories and we hear it told in their own voices as if we're all sitting together storytelling. I am going to have two more episodes like this, as I said, sprinkled throughout the summer. So if you really enjoyed this, never fear, there are a couple more. And if you're saying, wait a minute, I want to write personal essays and get them published. (laughs) I'll be leading a fall cohort of Publish the Personal. So if you want to be the first to know about that, make sure to join my newsletter community because they know everything before everyone else. They get priority enrollment. They get all the discounts. They get all the news first. And you can join that on my website at nadinekennyjohnstone.com forward slash community. I want to thank Michelle Rado, who also has authors come onto her podcast and read their pieces out loud. Her podcast is called Daring to Tell, and it's so awesome because you get to hear the essays in the author's voices, and they get to read a good chunk of their writing out loud, and then Michelle interviews them. And it's like getting an inside scoop into the life of each of these writers. You'll really, really love it. Thank you, Michelle, for also being the producer of this show in addition to running your own show. And lastly, remember everyone, if this podcast episode touched you in some way, and you want to recommend it to someone else, that's how you can most support Heart of the Story. It is completely a labor of love, and the best way to support it is by sharing it with other people. Sending a text to a friend and saying, hey, listen to this, taking a screenshot of it and sharing it on social media, emailing somebody else and saying, hey, have you heard about this? I really appreciate when you spread the word. That's how we spread love. So remember everyone, every heart has a story and every story has a heart. See you next week.